It's so cool to hear the way that God works through our church and through each of you and the different ways that God has gifted you. I'm so glad to be back in Boulder. I've been, uh, I was in Thornton last week and uh, in Erie the week before, and it's so cool to be there and see the ways that God's working in our Erie campus and Thornton campus too. But I missed you while I was gone. I don't know if the feeling's mutual, but I'm glad to be here today. Okay, we're in a Sunday morning series we're calling Beyond Blue. We wanted to kick off the year spending some time around issues that have become an increasing reality in our culture. Issues like depression and discouragement. I think we've all noticed an uptick in anxiety and anger. Doubt and disbelief. Trouble in many places and I think even here, what feels like a continual series of traumatic events. And there's so many people who are hurting. Some of us who hurt might look at a picture like this and say, that's how I feel. But no one wants to stay there. They want to move beyond blue. They want to move beyond being gripped by gloom and heal. And over these last few weeks, we've talked about the personal impacts of things like depression and despondency, the reality of doubt in the lives of people of faith, the presence of fear, and the kind of fallout we can experience when we give into it. But today, we're going to spend our time together talking about coming alongside others in our sphere who are hurting caring for a friend or a family member, a person we know who might describe themselves as feeling like that. So if you have yours with you, open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew's in the second part of your Bible in the New Testament It's the first of four books in the New Testament, which are biographies about the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of, I think it's fair to say, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. It was preached by Jesus on a mountain in the northern part of modern-day Israel, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. There was a crowd that was around Jesus. There often was when he was teaching, but this sermon was directed primarily to his closest followers, his disciples. In verses 14 through 16, they're probably ones that may be familiar to you. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Maybe it goes without saying, but the world was way darker in the first century. We probably take light in our day for granted, I mean, this room is filled with lights. I don't even know how many. But they all exist just to make it kind of look normal in here. 
We have these fancy colored lights. We have projectors that illuminate. This TV and your TV at home or your iPhone or your iPad or whatever is just filled with thousands of little lights that shine these little pixels to make an image. And everywhere I go, I have a flashlight in my pocket because of my iPhone. But in the first century, light was precious. And they probably understood more than we do the importance of light shining in the darkness. And maybe this illustration that Jesus was making would have been a little more profound to them because for them, darkness was dangerous. You didn't know who or what was out there. And when it's especially dark, like as dark as it would have been in the first century, when a single source of light comes on, you can't miss it. And you're attracted to it. If you've been to Calvary's Christmas Eve candlelight services, we try our best to get it as dark in this room as possible. The facilities team blocks out the windows on the doors and we turn off all the lights. And then Pastor Tom stands up front and lights one single solitary candle. And every single eye is fixed on it. Like you just don't ignore a single light in the darkness and we're drawn to it. It's like when you're out camping and the, the stars are so bright that you just can't take your eyes off of them. Or if you wander from, camp, uh, from your campsite, it's the campfire that brings you back. Jesus said his followers are to be the light of the world. You might know that Jesus described himself as the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus and anyone who follows him is the light of the world. This is the language of the kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Kingdom life. Jesus is our king. We are his followers, his subjects, if you will, if we submit to his reign and rule over our lives. And as we're a part of his kingdom, the way that we live our individual lives is meant to be a reflection of the life that Jesus lived. He says back in Matthew chapter 5 that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Just imagine making your way through a dark night in the forest and you break through the trees and there in the distance is a city on a hill. You can't miss it. And it's not lit up by one single light but many, many lights, so many that you can't even count them. And they're so much brighter together than they are alone and so welcoming. If you make your way through the darkness and see a city, it's so inviting and welcoming. That's what the kingdom is meant to be like. Warm and welcoming, inviting, visible in the darkness, pointing the way to life with Jesus. And just like you can't hide a city on a hill, it's too visible to be hidden. Jesus says you wouldn't want to put your light under a basket. Think about how hard it was to create fire in the first century. They couldn't just flip a switch and their fireplace turns on. 
They probably kept a fire burning at all times so that at night they could light a lamp, which was up on a stand, so it lit the largest portion of their home. And they would never cover it under a basket. Light was too precious. The whole point of light is that it would be seen by people. And so in verse 16, Jesus drives the point home. He says, don't hide your light. Let the life that is yours, the light of the life of the kingdom, shine so brightly that others might see it. And then he moves away from this metaphor of light and gets very practical when he says, we want people to see our good works. The kingdom life is meant to be shared with those who need it. Jesus did this in so many ways. He cared for the needs of people. He healed people. He provided meals to the hungry. He calmed storms. Jesus never kept his light under a basket. And when people experience the darkness of death or disease or discouragement or depression, it's our call as the people of the kingdom to come alongside them and shine the light of life in the kingdom. We're called to help them. And Jesus described that help as doing good works that would be visible for people to see. There's so many ways to do this. Could be as simple as a thoughtful card or a visit. Maybe it's a meal. Perhaps it's opening our home, taking care of the kids, cleaning a house, taking folks to the doctor. There's so many ways. And I have learned from so many of you personally about the importance of helping the hurting, of sharing the light of Christ with those who are in pain. You've done it for me in my life, in times of great pain. I've watched you love families who have experienced tragic loss. I've watched you walk alongside the pain of depression and mental illness by helping the hurting. The truth is, I think we all know this, but helping heals hurting hearts. Helping others can help to heal their hurting hearts. But before we even talk about helping other people, you know what's amazing about helping others, about serving, about living as lights in our world? The amazing thing is that sometimes, maybe even most of the time, it seems like we get more out of it than the people who receive our help. Isn't that the truth? Social scientists and mental health professionals have researched this widely. A 2003 study that surveyed thousands of people in the Presbyterian Church who regularly volunteered found that both helping others and receiving help were significant predictors of mental health. But giving help was a more important predictor of better reported mental health than receiving help. Feels like I've heard that before. It's better to give than to receive. Helping heals hurting hearts. The hearts that receive help and give help both can be healed. There's a lot more that we could say about this. But I want to tell you some of the ways we've tried to help the hurting over the years as a church family. 
and then spend some time talking about some of the ways we're going to try to help today. Many of you know that about 20 years ago, we began a series of projects we called the Kingdom Assignments. Their purpose was to enable our church to help meet needs in our communities and to intentionally develop at Calvary a culture of serving and caring for people, of sharing life in the kingdom throughout our communities. The first kingdom assignment was given to 100 people in this room during a Sunday morning service. We asked them to come forward, and they had no idea what they were signing up for. We gave each of them a $100 bill. $100 to 100 people. A little more than $10,000 in total. We told them that the money wasn't for them. It was from God. And they were supposed to take it and multiply that $100 to increase it and then give it away to meet needs in their life, in their community, places they were familiar with that might need help, people who were hurting. And it had to be outside of the church. And then in 90 days, they were supposed to come back and report to us what had happened It was a step of faith for those hundred people, as you can imagine, and they got so creative. One couple used their hundred dollars to buy soap and sponges and buckets and advertised a dog wash, and they raised more than a thousand dollars, which could probably only happen in Boulder. (laughs) And they gave all of the proceeds to the safe house, which is a shelter for victims of domestic violence. Artists in our church bought supplies and then auctioned off their artwork. One guy took his $100 to work, called a morning meeting, threw the $100 bill down on the conference table and said, I was given given this at church. I have to make it grow. What are we going to do? And his team got so creative. Some people threw money on the table. They had other ideas. And they multiplied it. An 11-year-old if you've been around, you've heard this story, came up to Pastor Tom after the service and said, I don't think I'm old enough to take $100, but do you think I could have $1? So Pastor Tom gave him a $1 bill. Josh made copies of a flyer which he had prepared that said to his neighbors he would um, take care of their weeds and clean their gardens And whatever uh, money he received from them, he would give to the lost boys and lost girls of Sudan. Within 90 days, he turned $1 into more than $191. We thought we probably should have given him $100. (laughs) When it was all added up, those 100 people multiplied that money into nearly $50,000, which was all given away to help hurting people in our communities. During the second kingdom assignment, we asked 200 people to sell a possession worth more than $200. As we assigned it, we asked the question, what do you think Jesus meant when he said, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor? Do you think he actually meant sell your possessions and give money to the poor? Let's try it and see what happens. 
And people sold all all sorts of things, musical instruments, timeshares, jewelry. And we told them, in 90 days, bring back the proceeds so we can put it all together and give it away. When we added it all up, it was $83,000. It was incredible. We set some of the money aside to give to a few churches in Boulder so they could do the first kingdom assignment. And then we gave large donations to some community service agencies in the city of Boulder. We wanted to let them know that we appreciated the work that they were doing and that we wanted to partner with them to help care for the needs of people. One of those organizations, Family to Family, helped some of the poorest families who are in deep financial need in the city of Boulder. And we talked with them beforehand and asked them, if we give you a donation, can you make sure that 100% of it goes directly to family in, families in need and you know, not to any administrative costs? They agreed. After we got all the resources, we said, we have a check for you. Can we bring it over? They said, sure. So a few folks from the church went over to present them a check. They had no idea what the amount was. The, the director opened an envelope with a check made out to family to family for, uh, for $20,000. She saw the amount, said, I, I can't exactly tell you what she said, but it began with, <laughs> holy. She covered her mouth, a little embarrassed, and then she wept. And through her tears said to us, I never would have expected a check like this from a church like yours. And as we heard that, we realized we're probably not shining our light like maybe we need to. They don't think we care about helping people who are hurting. And that's exactly what we're called to do. So we knew we had more work to do. During Kingdom Assignment 3, we asked our church to volunteer for 90 minutes in the community over the next 90 days. Could be coaching soccer, serving on the PTA, helping at school, or connecting with some of these social service agencies that were doing great work in our city. We asked a bunch of those social service agencies to come to church one Sunday and to set up a little bit of a volunteer fair in our cafe for after the service. We sent our people down there afterwards. Whoa. That was exciting. Sent our people down there afterwards to find out ways that they might be able to plug in and volunteer in the community. I'm going to grab this microphone. This was all planned. Get your attention. Okay, is that better? So we asked people to head down into the cafe after the service so they could see opportunities to shine light in our city and connect with some of these great social service agencies, with the Safe House, with the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless, with the Emergency Family Assistance Association. And 400 people served outside the walls of Calvary over the next 90 days, more than 600 hours of community service. As we were increasingly out in the community, we became aware of more and more needs that existed in Boulder. And we were asking around, what are the needs of the city and how can we help? Places where we as a church might be able to come alongside and help where we could. At the time, the Boulder Valley School District was experiencing a tremendous budget shortfall. 
So much so that they couldn't hire people to do uh, the labor that was needed to perform maintenance on their buildings. They could afford to buy supplies like paint and rollers and gardening tools, but they didn't have any people that they could afford to pay to do the work. So we approached the director of maintenance at the district, Mike Kiskelly, and said, what if we brought hundreds of volunteers into a few of your schools over a weekend to help bridge the gap and help provide the maintenance that BBSD can't afford? What do you think he said? He said, no way. I don't want a bunch of unskilled volunteers coming in and messing up our schools. But we were very persistent. And finally, we prevailed upon him that it would be a good idea for about 700 of us to come into three schools over a weekend. University Hill Elementary, Casey Middle School, and Fairview High School. So we canceled our weekend services, took 700 people in during our first ever ShareFest. We washed windows, painted hallways and classrooms and parking lot lines, pulled weeds, swept sidewalks, and when you totaled it all together, it was probably about $100,000 worth of free labor for the district. ShareFest grew to become a city and eventually countywide movement to help meet needs in multiple school districts. We invited other churches to join with us over the years, and at its peak about six years later, ShareFest grew to involve 45 churches with 4,500 volunteers at 135 different sites. Our prayer through all of these experiences was that we'd be able to shine the light of Christ in our community. We believe one of the best ways to share the gospel is to live out the gospel through good deeds. We've said it this way, that good deeds lead to goodwill, which provide a platform to share the good news, which sounds very similar to let your, shine, your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good deeds create goodwill, which opens the heart, we pray, to the good news. Helping heals hurting hearts. Do you see the link between helping and healing the hurting? The most important help we can give any person is through the transforming work of the gospel. That doesn't take away from the physical needs that so many people have and that we're called to meet, to be ambassadors of mercy, to come alongside the hurting and to help them here and now. But we are so much more than physical beings. We're spiritual too, and our greatest need that any person has is to be saved by Jesus Christ. And so our vision as we help and serve is to meet the holistic needs of people. These kingdom assignments accelerated our work to become a church for the city of Boulder. Not just a church in the city. They allowed us to capture a vision of being a church that seeks the total welfare of the communities that we're a part of. And they were the building blocks of so much of the work that we've done over the last 20 years. As we became more familiar with the needs in our area, we realized that there was a new community that was growing up that didn't have an established church like Calvary in it. And through prayer, we launched the Erie campus. We started by meeting, as many of you know, in Erie High School, 
And when we were searching for land in Erie after several years, we had looked at something like 25 properties that weren't a good fit for us. We thought we'd seen every option and didn't know if there was really a place where we could build a permanent facility for the Erie campus in the town of Erie. And then we heard that the St. Vrain Valley School District might be interested in selling their softball fields right on County Line Road. So we called their director of maintenance, who we knew well because of ShareFest. And he said, we would love to sell our fields to Calvary. That's where the Erie facility is located today, on those softball fields. That's a beautiful example of good deeds, which led to goodwill with this district that now has created a platform where a thousand people a weekend hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Work we've done together, like the Heart of Advent, the update you heard today, the 6-8 Project, Crisis Response in Our Community, Go3, and the Thornton Campus, all grew out of those kingdom assignments. A lot of these stories we've shared, I realize, are from a long time ago. Most of you here in the front weren't even born when these things happened. (laughs) But I want you to know that those original kingdom assignments changed our church forever. And I'm excited to tell you that we have a new kingdom assignment that we're kicking off today. The needs in our community today are tremendous. There are thousands of families who lost their homes in the Marshall Fire. And they're hurting. And it's staggering. And today is our day. We believe it's time for the next generation of people at Calvary to be on assignment, helping the hurting. Here's how we're going to do it. You as a church have been so generous in so many ways. Our Benevolence Fund, which is used primarily to meet the personal financial needs of folks in our church and in our community, is overflowing because of your kindness. And we feel like we have to make those dollars available to the people in our communities who are in need. So you are going to help us give away $100,000 to people who have been impacted by the Marshall Fire. Let me be very clear. We are not asking you to give anything. We are asking you to help us give it away. And our prayer is that as we do that, we will shine the light of Christ in places where it's very dark. And if we need to give away more money than $100,000, we're ready. And we will. Now, I also want you to know that we have been in close contact with the four families at Calvary who personally lost homes, and we're in touch with them, and we will be in the days and months ahead, and we will continue to help them in whatever ways we can, financially and otherwise. But this $100 that we've set aside for now 
is going to be given away by you to your friends, maybe to your neighbors, to your coworkers or family members outside of the walls of Calvary. We, we have a tremendous amount of resource right now because of your generosity. And you know the people and you know their needs. I bet many of you have someone in mind right now. And we've created a hopefully simple process. All you have to do is fill out a simple form on our website. You can go to calvarybible.com kingdom to find out info and find the form. You let us know who they are, how you know them, and we'll give you the money to give to them. We have a whole system behind the, place, behind the scenes that our finance team has put in place. We'll handle all the accountability. We have a team that will review every application that comes in. We'll ask questions if we need to. We'll make sure that if 10 of you want to help the same family, we'll get you all together and make it all work out. You might want to give away gift cards. Perhaps that would be most helpful right now for them. Or perhaps just a check would be most helpful. You each can apply to give away up to $2,500. We'll give you the check or the gift card, and you'll take it to your friend. Tell them that you love them, that you're with them in this, and this is a small gift to help them, that your church cares about them, cares about their needs and wanted to help. We know that the financial needs as a result of the fire are enormous, and we're not going to be able to solve all the problems. But we want to empower you to be the mechanism that gets this money into the hands of the hurting, and we pray that as we give it away, it will help heal hurting hearts. And then, in 90 days, you'll report back to us. You'll let us know how it helped you minister, how you were able to care for the people you love, and if there are any other ways that we can help. Now, if you don't personally know someone who was impacted by the Marshall fires, there are other ways you can help. It goes, goes without saying that you can pray, pray for their needs. You can pray for the folks who are on assignment, who take these resources to people in need, that they might be able to come alongside them and care for them in a deeper way. Prayer is the most important work. There's opportunities to volunteer with Samaritan's Purse, who is one of like two organizations who have been certified by Boulder County to go and sift through ashes alongside families who have lost everything. You can find out more details about that on our website and other ways that you can volunteer. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is our kingdom assignment for our day, my friends. God has been faithful tremendously faithful to Calvary for 133 years. And our calling today is the same that it has always been, to shine the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the places where God has called us, to help meet needs, to come alongside the hurting, to draw people into the healing life that is found in the kingdom of his Son. So let's go. Let's shine the light of Christ in the darkness and give glory to God.
Lord Jesus, we bless your name and give you thanks for what you've done. We pray for your help in the days ahead to continue to minister in whatever ways you call us to, Lord Jesus. We pray that in the small ways we can help, that we might heal hearts that are broken and hurting. We pray as we minister that you might heal our wounded hearts too, God. We pray for your help and ask for it in your name. Amen. So glad you were with us. The cafe's open. We'd love to meet you there. I know Eric and Katie would love to say hi. We'll see you soon. Until then, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus our King. See you soon.